This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, your podcast host, and this is episode 221. This week, we take a look at comfort food with writer Victoria Priva. Victoria is an expert on Jewish food and cooking and has written a recipe for chicken soup with matzo dumplings for our latest issue. She takes us through the steps to perfecting a perfect bowl and we talk about some other Jewish food traditions, including the evolution of babka to one of 2020's trendiest bakes. I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast um, writer, cookery teacher and food editor of the Jewish Chronicle, Victoria Priva. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Um, You've written a brilliant recipe for our October issue, which is a classic Jewish chicken soup. We'll talk about that in detail a bit later. But as the feature itself is all about comfort food, I just wanted to talk a little bit on that subject to begin Mm -hmm. with. Um, Like for me, so much of comfort food seems to be linked to memory and childhood. I don't know if it's the same for you. What were your earliest memories of kind of cooking at home and food at home? Um, Cooking at home, I think, probably is very similar to most people's jam tarts Mm. and, you know, the the real (laughs) having a go with the pastry scraps, licking the bowl with baking. My mum is an excellent cook. Um, She did some cordon bleu training at some point back in time. So she was always very... Yes, no, yeah. it was it was great. So we always ate well. I mean, we didn't eat cordon bleu food every night, but um, <laughs> <laughs> far from it. It was the usual, I don't know what, uh, pasta and I don't know, I can't even remember, white fish, whatever. But, you know, this sort of yeah, child, yeah. nursery food. Nursery um, food. And then we graduated on some more exciting stuff. But um, uh, early food memories of uh, probably around eating at grandparents' houses yeah. and smells. The smell of chopped parsley takes me straight back to my grandma's really? kitchen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just that raw freshness. And she used curly parsley. It wasn't flat leaf I was, I was about to ask that. Like these days, <laughs> it's so hard to find curly parsley anywhere. Yeah. And, um, but it does, it's got, it's got so much more flavour and it doesn't do that thing where it just kind of wilts into nothingness in two minutes, does it? Absolutely. I wonder why it went, it's like straight hair, isn't it? I wonder why it went out of fashion that the parsley had to be straight rather than the curly sauce. I think it's because um, you often had to wash it quite heavily because all of those little tiny fronds used to like get, you know, bits of sort of soil and stuff in them, didn't they? So maybe oh, it's, so everyone needs everything. Everyone wants everything kind of washed and fresh and whatever. But yeah, but yeah, so the, so the smell of parsley in the kitchen in your grandma, what would she put that yes. on typically? Uh do you know what? I can remember it going into a vegetable soup. There was a very yeah. orange vegetable soup, which probably had everything just chucked in yeah. there. <laughs> and I can remember a bit of parsley being chopped over the top. But she'd have used it to garnish all sorts of things. But, um, you know, on a, a Friday night, maybe on top of the chicken soup, there would have been like a yeah. smattering of the parsley. Went in all sorts of things. I, I made something this week, actually, which took me back there. She used to make something she called mushroom mush. Classy <laughs> name. Attractively named. <laughs> But it stayed with me and it was literally sautéed up mushrooms, um, chucked on some tomato puree, a bit of Worcester sauce. Mm. Uh, I don't know what else I added to it. And then parsley would, would sort of finish it off. And it was, you know, the flavours were lovely. It was delicious. Yeah. We'd have it on toast. So I just made it for breakfast this week and it took me straight back there. So so the, the parsley sort of sat on top of that. But um, I mean, there were more um, exciting things that we ate. But as a child, sort of, you know, certain big memories 
that, that spring back are probably associated with smells and things and some foods that we still eat. So yeah. the chicken soup, again, salt beef. I made that recently, never made it before, just always bought it. And um, and that for all the grandparents, well, my parents, yeah. I should say, my children's grandparents, all of them ate it with such relish because that took them all the way back to... Yeah. In, in, in time, really, to when they would have eaten that sort of food. We don't eat that so much anymore. Did you get the brisket um, salted from the the butcher or the... Yes, the I brought ready? pickled brisket, actually. So they'd done all the brining. Oh, wow. They'd done everything, yeah. Um, I wasn't really up for... Because uh, you, you can do it, yeah. You, I mean, yes. I think... I think we might even have a recipe online. I think Adam, our, our um, deputy food editor, tackled it once. Um, I remember one years ago, like maybe... God, when I first started out 15, 16 years ago, assisting on a shoot and being sent to look for um, pickled brisket to do yeah. in a salt beef recipe with John Tarot and just ringing up all of these butchers and they were like, what? And then finding a butcher in St. John's Wood that was a Jewish butcher that actually had it all and having to travel out there and get it, yeah. I think it's it must be, it's just such a Jewish thing because I found yeah. it very easily. I happened to be buying meat for Jewish New Year, which was quite recent. Um, I saw the pickle brisket there and I thought, I know, I'm just going to, to nice. cook that up. And uh, easy as pie. I think the pickling takes a while, Yeah, um, that side of things. But to buy it like that, it's the easiest thing in the world to cook. Is it you just easy, put easy. it in a pan with some veg, um, big carrots and onions and kind of cook it really slowly? Did you yeah. do it that way? That's yeah. it. That's it till it's tender. And that really is it. And then it's, you know, it goes with... I made a rye loaf, actually, because I felt like doing the whole oh, thing. Nice. Oh, God. So I made a New York rye. I took from the Smitten <sighs> Kitchen blog. Um, and that was also easy and delicious. It was sort of a cheats uh, sourdough. It's sort of, yeah. it, you put in a, st- a startery type thing to start with, but you didn't have to wait for hours. It was yeah. yeasted as well. It was delicious. So, you know, put all the trimmings with it, mustard, pickles... And it was lovely. So you, really, then you've really got nice. the makings of one of those amazing, like New York deli sandwiches with the salt beef and the pickle. And, oh, I'm yeah. actually like so hungry. I haven't had <laughs> lunch yet. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I need to find pickled brisket now and make some. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, when, so like moving on from when you were a kid, when when did you start muscling in the kitchen yourself? Was it was it kind of did your mum start te- teaching you or your gran or were you kind of always quite into your cooking? I was keen, but I, I think I have a really bad memory because I can't remember exact times. I do remember starting to cook. I yeah. turned vegetarian at about 14. Did you? And, uh, I probably How got, did that you know, go down? <laughs> it wasn't popular, I have to say. <laughs> and I also tried to give up fish. Um, and my mum just wasn't having that at all. But it was it was an age of, you know, finding out about factory farming. And I think yeah. we must have watched one horrible, gruesome film too many. Um and that just was it. And I, I actually stayed vegetarian for about 20 years. Did uh, you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, and then, then yeah, turned in my 30s. <laughs> and then met my husband, uh, probably within the year, who's a vegetarian. So, <laughs> annoyingly, <laughs> I don't cook huge meat meals because I've okay. always got someone who needs not to have it. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I started cooking vegetarian stuff, Um um, probably baking, always like baking. Yeah. And my mum would have definitely taught me basics. I can remember basic things that she taught me. I've got some of her bits of kit that um, we'd have used. Um, a moolie, you know the. Do you know what a moolie is? It's a 
uh, when you're making like f- stewed apples or um, oh, like to mush food, things down. Like a food mill. So you kind yes, of... Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but yeah, I don't yeah, know why I, we call it a moolie. Maybe that's a... Um, so it's like it's got a handle at the top. Yes, And you kind of, yes. you twist the handle and it pushes the food through a, um, yes. through like a little gap in the bottom. Yeah, I've yes. seen, yeah, yeah. So we'd use that for mashed potatoes or for... Yeah. Um, uh, for stewed apples, and my yeah. grandma actually had a mincer, meat mincer. She'd put push the meat. Oh yeah, my grandma mincer had a mincer. Yeah. I know. I I'd actually really vividly remember a she had a mincer, and b she had this lethal <laughs> meat slicer thing that was like an elegant, <laughs> no, like a mini version of one of those, um, you know, that you get in a butcher where it's got a wheel on it, which is like <gasps> I know, I know, I know. And just to slice meat on it, like oh, oh, bizarre. I think yes, it was, I, yeah, that age of uh, convenience and you know gadgets were coming out, and they might not have been that expensive, but they were kind of things that you you thought you might need. And I, I guess it was before. I don't know. You could go. I'm sure you could get mince at the butchers. But anyway, I remember her yeah, loving but, her mincer. Uh, maybe people um, just did more. That yeah, we've, true, we've grown from lazy scratch. and that we've, they did yeah. cook more from scratch than they would have done. So it's like yeah. a half between it being difficult to do it yourself, being easier to do it yourself, and then us totally giving up on doing it and just going and getting it minced already. True. I guess, <laughs> I guess. But yeah, and I probably started cooking then properly. I was more a baker at home, I yeah. think, than the nice side of cooking, um, which is all my children want to do. They never want to do anything savoury. They only want to make sweet stuff. Yeah. But then at university, I had to fend for myself. So it was then really that I then probably just got on with it and, yeah. and made made my own meals had to really <laughs> um did you I mean did you bring I, I know we we've chatted in the past and you and you you weren't from a an orthodox Jewish family but your family you know observes various different traditions and, and yeah. it, did you take any of that um with you you know when you went to university was the stuff that you made that kind of linked you back to to your grandma and your mum, do you think? Or was it more you were just kind of striking out on your own? And I think striking out, lazy and just striking out. And it, food was, I enjoyed eating, but it was more about convenience, I think. So yeah. I had my, my Rose Elliott paperback that I made oh, all my yeah. vegetarian meals from. Fant- well, you, you um, had a good good teacher there then as well. It's good, you know, all of those books. <laughs> <laughs> I might even have it somewhere still. But so I, you know, cooked from there. But I went home for the the proper Jewish food. Also, I went to Norwich and I don't know, I didn't look for the Jewish community. A lot of no. students that I hear of now, and maybe even then would look for, there was a, be a Jewish society at the university oh, okay. and you could go and have your Friday night meal, or the Sabbath meal, which is what yeah. most Jews, religious or not, those who are just culturally Jewish or who are um, properly observant would do Friday night. That's just it's like Sunday lunch, you would all do that. So they might have gone to find someone somewhere, been invited to someone to have their Friday yeah. night meal. But I don't remember being that engaged at that stage mm. in my life that I that I bothered. I'd have it at home, so, um, so what, but not when what I was is, away. What is the Friday night meal? What What is the Sabbath meal? What does it normally consist of? So um, it always starts with uh, challah, the Jewish enriched bread. Oh, yeah. So you make some blessings. You light candles to... to say that the the Sabbath is coming in. So the Sabbath comes in at nightfall. So it starts on Friday night and goes out on Saturday night. Oh, okay. So you, you light the candles just before dusk, you make a blessing on some wine and you make a blessing on some bread, the challah bread. And it's a special bread because it's it's a celebration. It's, it's like a, a holiday every Friday. That's how it's meant to be. That's why you've got your wine and your bread. My kind um, of religion. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And um, 
it's funny because my husband and I would always be we'd be gagging on a Friday night to, to get our glass of wine in and, and eat yeah. a holler and so we're you know getting on with the blessings so that we can uh, yeah. we can have that and it's really special yeah um and then once that's done probably you go into some chicken soup um with canadlach which are the matzo balls which are the like dumplings yeah. um and this all originated as sort of peasanty food that is ashkenazi uh, ashkenazi are the jews who lived in eastern europe okay the other sorts of jews are from further south um uh, southern Europe and maybe Africa, those sorts of countries, they're called Sephardi Jews. Okay. So this chicken soup and matzo balls is very Ashkenazi. And Ashkenazi. the Ashkenazi Jews brought that to the UK, to the States when they emigrated. Um, so you have your chicken soup. You might have chopped liver, which is chicken livers, like a chicken liver pate, but a simple okay. one. Uh, and then roast chicken and all the you know potatoes and vegetables. And then um, if you haven't had enough to eat, there's then uh, dessert would be, but anything really but non-dairy. Okay. Uh, if you're observant, there are the rules of kosher, kashrut, are that you don't mix meat and dairy. So and okay. you wouldn't have those in the same meal. So there's an awful lot of non-dairy desserts that people turn to, um, not to miss out on the pudding, um, but okay. to, to have it at the end of their meat meal. So that that's a very traditional meal. And it might be something called lokshan pudding, which I don't know how many people eat that now. Right. Lokshan is the word <laughs> for um, like egg noodles. So um, oh. also very stodgy, but they're, they're baked in a sweet, uh, like a, not like a rice pudding because it's not milky, but that sort of thing, you know, like a baked, yeah. noodly, eggy, custard thing. dessert. Oh, yeah, because eggs are fine, I guess. They are, yeah. yeah. So not vegan, but but non-dairy. So yeah. non-dairy recipes are very useful um, for finding uh, desserts. Um, they're called parev, where they're not milky and they're not meaty. They're somewhere in between. Okay, somewhere in between is good. Somewhere in between is a good compromise. I think it is. It is. What? Um, and then what? So you've had your Sabbath meal on the Friday, and then what mm. does that mean on the Saturday that you're a little bit more frugal with what you eat, or if you were? Well, probably not. So okay. um, <laughs> it all depends. Again, there's levels of observance. The very religious, or the, those who keep Shabbat, yeah. don't drive, don't cook. Oh, okay. uh, don't you know, don't do anything with machinery. Don't do lighting. There's all sorts of things that you're not meant to do. You go to mm. synagogue, you come back, and so they would have a cold lunch because they can't cook, or they might have a warming plate and they would warm up oh, uh, something yeah. slowly yeah. on that. There's something called chulent, which is C H O L E N T. It's um, again Eastern European, but there are uh, Sephardi versions of it. But it's it's baked overnight. Uh, in the oh. oven, it's like a big stew with pot barley in it and um, uh, eggs are sometimes sort of buried in there somewhere. And that's cooked in back in the day in Eastern Europe, you know, yeah. back, you know, previous century or two centuries ago. People would take their pot of meat and vegetables and barley or whatever and put it in the baker's oven yeah. as they were turning it off. And so the heat from the oven would cook the stew so it would be ready then to pick up the next day. Yeah. So you might then have that as your lunch because it would still be warm. But still it would be warm, be, and you yeah, and it you, wouldn't you've, involve any cooking. You'd no, just you've just that. you've just bent the rules slightly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and beans. So it's quite a hearty rib sticking dish, which a lot of the Ashkenazi food yeah. is because it was cold and uh, in that part of the world then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so you might have something simpler, but um, actually the chulent doesn't sound very simple. It's quite heavy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so no you would eat again and then you might have something else in at tea time a cake or yeah. something with your tea there's a lot like, of eating that goes on i like this <laughs> <laughs> it sounds this like going to my week. 
<laughs> yeah, this this sounds like going to my grandma's house where you go Sunday lunch and everyone would be like, oh God, I can't eat anymore. And then about an hour later, she'd be putting the tea things out and bringing out sandwiches and cakes and, you know, and yes. everyone just went again. It was like, yes. I think, yeah, grandma's love feeding. Um, it's it's funny, isn't it? How, you know, along with um, Jewish chicken soup, how a lot of Jewish foods have kind of made their way into popular culture. And when we were chatting about setting up this interview, you mentioned I think last night on Great British Bake Off, we saw the babka, which, yes. you know, a few years ago, I'd never seen a babka. Now I can't turn a corner for hitting a babka. It's really, it's it, it's become super trendy. But I guess the original, um, the bagel, which is like everywhere now, yes. isn't it? Yes. Well, and, both and that, of those, um, again, originated in Eastern Europe. Okay. Um, the bagel was said to be something they gave, well, it's a circle, a circle of life in the yeah. same way... Uh, um, Certain breads, like the, the hollows baked in a circle at the New Year, there's this tradition. It was given uh, to to new mums or something, or okay. uh, I can't remember the exact history. I didn't know. And they used to sell them on sticks, um, great long sticks with loads oh, and loads yeah, with of these bagels pole, on. Yeah. They walk around. Yes, I remember going yeah. to see Fiddler on the Roof recently in London, and there was someone yes. selling bagels. I mean, not properly, but in the show um, with yeah. the, uh, the bagels on a stick. But both those breads were they're, they're dairy free, so they can be eaten with anything. Um, traditionally, although the new babka has butter in it. I was going to say, were, I thought the bad babka was enriched. The, yes, the recipes it is now seen. very much so. But it was invented then. It was used, the, you used the rest of your hollow dough right. to um, bake this, uh, the babka in yeah. the, the normal way. So you had something for your breakfast on the Saturday without having to bake anything. But yeah, so that apparently, because I did my research, we'd just written something in the JC about babka because there's been a little bit of like jaw dropping over those bagels and that babka. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the feeling out there? What are people kind uh, of? Horror. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But the I bagels were dreadful. I and mean, it was, yeah. I felt sorry for them because it was a task and a half. Plus they were rainbow, which is just. Oh, oh God, the rainbow. No, I mean, I've had a, a long chat with Ed Kimber, um, who's our baking expert about, we were talking about those when they came out in New York and we were like, why would you even want to? It just looks inedible. It looks like yeah. Play-Doh, like your your daughter would play with, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, as I was going to say, my daughter, my son, they they love a rainbow bagel, the biggest treat. <laughs> I feel like a bad mother even giving them to them, but they absolutely, we go into the Jewish deli and they want a rainbow bagel. They're so there are awful. Jewish delis out there making them? Oh, of wow. course, yeah. I thought it was yes. like, I thought it had just been like hyped up by those trendy New York bakeries and, you know, really... Yeah. No. no. So um, they started baking them here maybe, I don't know, a few years ago. And um, they're yeah. very popular. And so a lot of the bakeries do them now. I think they sell them in Selfridges because they've, they've taken, or one of the big, or maybe Harris, yeah, they've I taken they them do. from one of the local Jewish yeah. jellies. But yes, it's not, it was a New York thing, but it's more here now. And the Babka sort of um, took off in about 2010. Israeli baker um, started doing Babkas and it just blew up from there. Yeah. So until then it was not widely loved at all. but they added yeah. the butter turned it into something a bit nicer yeah in the, uh, the, the butter free version the paris version and does it come it come does it always have chocolate in it or is it different fillings no um there's a there's a famous seinfeld episode um from that era and yeah. elaine and jerry 
are discussing whether it should be chocolate or cinnamon, having a big row oh, about yes. which is the best. <laughs> Traditionally, cinnamon was, yeah. I think, the thing. I think I would um, prefer as, cinnamon. Yes, I think so. And and then they, the chocolate. But then now they do all sorts of fillings. Yeah. So there are all sorts of versions going on. I've done quite a few lately because people started selling Babka kits. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Someone sent me one <laughs> just the other day. It's not very good. I can't remember. But I, I was sent the dough ready to yeah. go. Right. And all the bits and pieces to assemble it. So it was easy as, as pie, easy as babka. And just had to do the the rolling, spreading, folding, plaiting, yeah, all of that stuff. Thing, and it? it was delicious. That's awful. Oh. I can't remember who sent it to me. But anyway, I, I was sent one of those. And another one um, from the Good Egg where I had to do a bit more construction, mm. actually make my dough. But they've been fabulous. Okay. I'm, I'm learning so much. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, onto your recipe and one of the yes. most famous Jewish dishes, if not one of the most famous chicken dishes, I think, in the world, Jewish chicken soup. Um, and you rightly said in your intro, it's it's called Jewish penicillin for a reason. Everyone sees it as this ultimate bowl of like soothing soup. Um, what I love about it is it is pretty simple in its, you know, the amount of ingredients that are in it, but it's actually all about the... Um, how you put it together. And I, before I got in touch with you, I watched a video of you making, there's a video online of Victoria. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Honestly, I was like, I was just transfixed as you went Aww. through all of the stages. And I was like, there's so much to this. It's like so simple, but there's so much to getting it right. So I thought what would be really nice for people listening is if we take them through the things that you've got to remember in order to, to make it perfect, basically. Okay. So um, should we start with with the chicken, I guess. Um, well, we'd, I'd, I'd use a kosher chicken. Um, if you weren't worried about kosher, you'd use organic probably. Get the best chicken you could find, yeah. I would say. Um, kosher chickens have been brined, so they're a bit more oh. salty to start with. And I guess um, the, that means the, the meat is a little bit, um, I'll hold up a little bit more, I think, yes. it, if it's been brined. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. And um, yeah, so, and but also I found there tends to be, so when you get them, once you start boiling it, because you'll bring it up to the boil, you get quite a lot of scum off the top. Yes, right. Which organic chickens don't tend to do as much. It's a bit worrying, okay. but um, it's, you know, you just, just take that off. So yeah. so you want a really good chicken. You want decent uh, vegetables, carrots, celery, some peppercorns, uh, onion, maybe a parsnip. That adds a nice flavour to it. So Not different people will put different vegetables in. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you use um, extra, I think you use extra bones, don't you? Because the first yes. bit of it is we're making, we're going to cook the chicken, but we're going to make the the stock, right? So you yes. put the whole chicken into the pan, but you use your extra bones that you might have kept from other chickens. And... Absolutely, absolutely. And you can keep roasted bones, you can keep um, carcass, you know, from, from a previous go, whatever. But it, yeah, I tend to, to ch- chuck some in the freezer and then add them in because all the extra bones you can get in and cartilage whatever will add, add to the flavor because you want to get as much flavor out of that meat or out of yeah. those bones as you can um now in the past people would have used boiler chickens so i don't think they were as worried about the the chicken flesh at the end of it all but right. i prefer to cook it just for an hour um initially and take my meat out because oh, okay. then i've got some flavor out the meat but the meat's not going to be toughened or, yeah. or destroyed by the cooking process so but I'm going to continue to get flavor out of those bones yeah so and it is essentially a chicken stock to start with so you, you'll bring it up to the boil you'll um 
take off any any of the scum that comes off um and then you'll just let it sit um yeah. at a very low simmer or even lower you know like a stock almost where it's just got a bubble coming to the surface every so often yeah for as long as you've got really i mean i've said in the recipe an hour and then you take your chicken out uh, strip yeah. the meat off the bones you've got that then to return or to use for something else because it's also quite a frugal dish so yeah um you can have some of the chicken back in there but you can also Into then the use soup. your chicken for other things yes yeah um, and I, I like the fact that you, with your onion you leave the skins on so color. you get that the color yeah. which is fantastic isn't it because yes i think you've done if anyone's ever done um for um easter onion skin eggs you know you crack the eggs yes, and then you put yes. them in a thing <laughs> this is show my age now this used to what was fun when we were younger yes but the point Simple is thing. it's it's um it's the it's like the natural coloring in the chicken skin that gives you that beautiful golden color isn't it yes yes and you want to help it along so um and there's some salt in the beginning, which is going to draw out some flavour yeah. um, as well. I've missed out that part. Oh, no, the parsley obviously has gone in there too. Um, and then once you've, you've got through that stage, you then uh, keep on cooking it till you get to a flavour you're happy with. Yeah. But at least an hour, I would say, yeah. if you can do a bit more, you can. Some people do it in a slow cooker. Uh, some people do it super fast in a pressure cooker. Oh, okay. Um, so there are, there are various methods of doing it. But um, once you're then happy with that flavour... You're then going to pop, t- strain it, yeah. put it in the fridge. But actually keep the bones in. Sorry, I've not, I haven't got my recipe in front of me. That's so um, keep the bones in. Uh, no, no, sorry. Take that back. You're going to have to edit this. Strain That's it. That's fine. <laughs> pop, pop it in the fridge. Yeah. And then overnight, the fat then solidifies yeah. on the top. Uh, and that fat, again, in years gone by, and even now people would then scrape off in years gone by, they'd smear it on their bread and yeah. eat it like, like you've done with lard. Yeah. <laughs> that's like super trendy. So that's the sh- schmaltz, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So they'd use that. Um, or you could just keep that aside, use it to make your matzo balls with, yeah. use it to roast your potatoes because obviously, you know, goose fat and uh, poultry fat is great for roasting potatoes. So you yeah. keep that. Uh, but then you've got the benefit of, of, of less fat on your soup. Yeah. Um, uh then taste again you might want to reduce it a little yeah to concentrate the flavor some people cheat with a bit of chicken stock powder if it doesn't have enough flavor but by this time it should be tasting should have, pretty yeah. good yeah and, and that's it so you really it's taken 24 hours to make this soup but it'd be worth waiting for so it is literally like so much it's just time and love and care which is you know exactly what you should be putting in a soup that's going to make someone feel better exactly exactly um, Tell us about the the matzo balls. Are there? Did you call them? I can't say the word. Neatlich. Matzo. Oh, canadlich. 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 I think means little canadles. I don't know what canadlich must be. Is that the same thing as the matzo? Oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're made from matzo meal. Yeah. Which is ground up matzo ground to a sort of a flour. Okay. Um, So I think it's more Americans call them matzo balls. It's more old style. Right. Um, to say canadles. I, lo- I grew up calling them canadles because that's just what they were. I love Mots- the name. It's such a good word, though. <laughs> Why would you not want Isn't to use it? that word all the time? <laughs> <laughs> it's like bagel and bagel. I grew up yeah. saying bagel, which Did is you? now no one says bagel, everyone says bagel. I'm going to say so, bagel um, from now on and just fox everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like, do you want a bagel? <laughs> but I sound Australian then. <laughs> 
<laughs> like Matt Lucas on the Bake Off. They were doing yeah, that exactly. last night, the Australian. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those, they're just, again, dumplings made with uh, matzo meal because uh, I think essentially at Passover, which is uh, one of our festivals where you wouldn't have flour mm. dumplings, uh, you'd use matzo meal instead. Right. And um, that's when they became more popular and we stayed with it. But they are yeah. simple. They are uh, just some matzo meal and egg, um, maybe a little bit of stock chicken or chicken soup in there. Yeah. Leave that to hydrate. So that goes half an hour to hydrate. Well, there's egg. Some people use baking powder. And actually, I think that's quite a good idea if you want to keep them light for light. longer. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll puff up more and they'll stay puffed. The ones yeah. that haven't got, don't, they then go quite solid later. Yeah. Um, when you're ready to cook, you just to roll them into balls. Um, they will go into a shallowish pan of salted water, not your soup, because otherwise they'll suck up all your soup if you cook them mm. in the soup. Cool. Um, which would be a shame when you've spent yeah. 24 hours making it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and then uh, they cook under a lid, um, glass lid, so you can enjoy the fun, Yeah. puffing up for about 25 to 30 minutes. Oh, really? That uh, long? Wow. Yes, yes. I mean, you, I think they're ready slightly before that. But, um, it just depends on the size of them. Um, yeah. But that about 25 minutes, puffing up um, yeah. and then into the soup. Love that. Um, mm, they're absolutely the, delicious. Real comfort food. The picture, they they um, obviously we shot the recipe for the the uh, magazine and the image is beautiful and the, the soup itself is like absolutely crystal clear and golden. And you've got yeah. these big puffy dumplings in. It just looks fantastic. It um, is gorgeous. Yeah, I was, I was going to say like lastly... Um, I'm quite interested in the way that cooking and especially baking, as you said, has been a way for people to stay calm this year. Is that something that yes. you found yourself? I mean, oh, totally, you, know, you said, yeah. Totally. I, I have to confess to mostly buying my challah, which is the Friday night bread, yeah. because I was always too busy to, to do it. But during lockdown, there were no excuses. Really? <laughs> uh, and also, I couldn't go to the bakery and buy it. So I started making my challah every week. Um, and I found that very um, mindful. Yeah, uh, I also did some Facebook classes. So I, I did something for my children's school where we did a live, Facebook Live and I taught them how to make their colour, oh. which was really lovely. Um, so there was that. I, I succumbed to sourdough. I, I did some sourdough did you, baking. You fell into <laughs> that big endless hole of sourdough. I still oh. haven't, I haven't done it yet. I, I did kombucha. I didn't do sourdough. Oh, yeah. No, I went, yeah, you did, did well. I did the sourdough. <laughs> um, I baked with Kitty. We did a few other baking classes. We did scones yeah. for VE Day on, on Facebook as well. Oh, so, did you? Yeah, I, I found it, it takes you away from everything, really, baking. It's yeah. just a, a lovely way to spend your time. Yeah, and also because and, baking and, is, yeah, it tends to be prescriptive, as in you... You're following a you're following a method, aren't you? With baking, you're not just winging it. A lot of my cooking is winging it, but yeah, baking, I, I I am following a recipe, and there's something about that that kind of calms your mind because you're doing it step by step too. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. And um, to do that once a week was was lovely. And there, you you have to be patient to wait for all the processes to take place. Yeah, you can't just be you know it's not fast food. And also having your you know having kids to. To help you with as well it's quite kind of nice because then you're doing things together yes yeah because my daughter's just done a 14 day isolation because a teacher at school had tested positive oh, 
unfortunately. So um, much as I loved having her at home, <laughs> um, it was it was after lockdown. It was just, just another extension. Anyway, she baked a challah with me last week, which was quite nice. Sure. We had a little one and a big one together. So she plaited hers, cool. I plaited mine, and that was really special. So it's it is a lovely thing to do together. Have you got and a challah recipe? A recipe anywhere that we can have a look at? I have actually. It's, um, I've just given one to Good Food. So there's one oh. on the Good Food. Website. Amazing. That is our sister magazine, Good Food. Go and check it out. BBCGoodFood.com. Brilliant. Yeah. And otherwise, we've got lots on the JC's website. And there's a video. There's another video. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I uh, recommend the video. I'm making colour with uh, a lady <laughs> called Tammy Isaacs, who has a bakery Amazing. called Karma Bread in Hampstead. And her colour is fabulous. Right. So so we, we go through step by step on how to make your colour bread. Amazing. I'm going to go and mm-hmm. check that out. Well, thank you so much for coming to chat to us today. Um, if people want to find you on your Instagram's great, by the way. I love it. Thank I'm you. following you. And it's at Victoria Priva, which is P-R-E-V-E-R. That's right. Is that right? Yeah. That's so if right. anyone wants to go and check it out, um, they can see all different recipes and ideas there as well. But thanks again for coming to chat to us, Victoria, today. It's been really, really cool. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. So that was the Yellow Magazine podcast. If you want to explore more of our back catalogue of over 200 episodes, you'll find us on all the main platforms and on our website, olivemagazine.com, where you'll also find tons of useful recipes and great cooking advice. Why not try a subscription to Olive Magazine and get the very best recipes delivered to help inspire your cooking? To take advantage of our current offer of three issues for only £5, go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash allpod720 that's o-l-p-o-d 720 terms and conditions apply stay safe and we'll see you next week when we'll have a brand new episode to listen to